Welcome on in on this Wednesday morning. Thanks for joining DJ and PK. Got a fun show planned for you. Thanks for listening early this morning. You know, as part of what we've been doing here for the last several weeks, we've been recognizing some of our great sponsors everybody needs to pull together. And one of those right now that we're going to do is what we call a partner profile. And joining us will be Terry Grant, who is the Utah president of KeyBank. It's time to showcase those that are helping all of us through these difficult times. This is a partner profile on the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott in for uh, David James today. It's time for another partner profile. Let's get out to the Zone phone. The Utah Joining us now, the Utah president of Key Bank. He is Terry Grant with us here on DJ and PK. Terry, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I am doing great. Thank you. Hey, thank you for jumping on with us, and thank you for being such a great partner of ours. Uh, let's talk about Key Bank and uh, what you guys are doing to respond to the current pandemic. Okay. Well, I appreciate this opportunity. You know, last recession that we had, um, I think banks were part of the problem. As you recall, the bailouts. But this time, I think our industry has never been stronger. And so we are really part of the solution this go around. And I am incredibly proud of how we have responded to the COVID-19 crisis. Um, As in all things key, we approach it with a a people-first mindset. Um, putting our clients and our communities and our team members first. Um, right now, our business resiliency plans are in full effect, and we have maintained really our operational effectiveness across our entire organization. And in fact, I, I, I believe that um, we'll come out stronger as a bank through this than we were going into this pandemic crisis. Um, And, you know, now more than ever, our clients depend upon us uh, not only to help carry out their basic day-to-day banking needs in this current environment, but to support those whose livelihoods have been so impacted by COVID-19. So here in Utah, we're experiencing a gradual reopening. What is KeyBank doing as far as being open to the community? Right. Well, thanks for that. so we, um, we have maintained our drive-throughs as, as the other financial institutions have, as well as by appointment in our lobbies. Um, actually, starting next week, June 1st, we're opening our lobbies, uh, two of our lobbies open again in, in our branches. And then we hope to have all of our branches reopened by the end of June. But, you know, so much has been done on the electronic front um, with our banking today that uh, our team members have been extremely busy calling all of their clients, making sure they're okay, seeing how we can help. Um, so it's been us reaching out to them as, as much as uh, our clients reaching out to us to support them. Terry Grant is with us from KeyBank on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's a partner profile. And Terry, I, I saw in April that you guys partnered with Joe Ingalls. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Ah, yes, that was a great thing. Um, so our KeyBank Foundation uh, committed more than $18 million across our footprint to support projects and, and designed to minimize the impact of COVID-19 on small businesses and neighbors. And then here locally in Utah, we supported two funds, the Utah COVID-19 Community Response Fund and the Feeding uh, the Front Lines Fund. Um, but um, what was fun was we wanted to be creative in how we could help more of our Utah community. 
And one of the hardest hit industries, as you recall, is, is our restaurants industry here. And, and so we teamed up with Joe, Joe Ingalls, and, and donated $10,000 to a nonprofit close to Joe's heart um, called Culture City, a nonprofit that aims to make everyday environments more inclusive uh, for people with autism and post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, I'm sure you're aware Joe and his wife are the parents of a child with autism, and he also sits on the board of Culture City. So it was a great way we could support Joe and, and something that was close to his heart. But in addition, we chose a number of these locally owned restaurants that were hit so hard and bought thousands of dollars of gift cards to these restaurants. And then over a week period, Joe would announce on his Twitter account um, which restaurants it was. We would put a, a $50 gift card in each of the takeout um, um, food items that uh, this, these clients would come and pick up from these restaurants with a note that the next meal will be on KeyBank. Um, and then we uh, bought a lot more and we donated um, those uh, gift cards um, to those same restaurants to eight different essential businesses and first responder sites with up to $1,000 per site So with these gift cards so that they could go to restaurants and treat their employees. Wow, that's really awesome, man, to be able to do that. You're sort of branching out maybe a little bit beyond what a bank normally does. Well, we try to be a little creative um, and at the same time really support our community. Our three main things are to support our clients, support our communities, and to support each other, our employees at KeyBank. And if we can do those things, those three things well, then, uh, then we're doing something right. Hey, Terry, we can't thank you enough for jumping on the show, and uh, thank you and your team over there at KeyBank for all they do. Please pass that along from us. I will be happy to do so. Thank you so much. All right, thanks to uh, Terry Grant, Utah president of KeyBank. Coming up next, oh, my gosh, you're going to want to listen to this. Me and Jake Scott, some of the stuff that Jake Scott said is just outrageous. I'm just going to leave it at that. He'll be joining me next on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Join the big show coming up on Friday, 2 to 6, at the Warehouse 86 East University Parkway in Orem. Prices so low, it will blow your mind. PK, going over more of the responses during the break, I would think Witt and uh, Majerus getting the most uh, run. But also, uh, is it, um, let's see, Jack Gardner? Is that uh, is his first name, Jack? For sure. Uh, Jack yeah, Gardner. Jack Gardner's got to be. Who coached Utah to the uh, the championship, right? Um, and uh, Stu Morrow getting quite a bit of run, but mainly Witt and Majerus, I would say, getting the majority. Where Where is your mind at in this? What are you considering? Well, I think you got to consider a lot, a lot of people. I think you got to consider Stan Watts at BYU basketball. Okay. I don't see how you don't have him in there. Now, he wasn't there for a long time, but in terms of accomplishments beyond the state, Dick Mata? Right. Weber State. Absolutely right. 
And Dick Mata, he gave us, he basically gave us Phil Johnson, right? Yep. And then Phil Johnson with the connection to Jerry Sloan. And those two, uh, they phenomenal coaching staff. And that's one of the things, you know, uh, back in the, in the 90s when I was working for the Watchdog, I did uh, some NBA stuff and really talked to a lot of different NBA people and they were just uh, so complimentary of the coaching staff. And every time they had mentioned Jerry Sloan, they mentioned Phil Johnson, too. So you don't have one without the other. In their mind, it was a tag team effort and how those two guys were at the top of the organization in terms of coaching. Uh, I think Frank Layden needs to be on the list as a nominee. But if you're just going to limit it to coaching, I can't see where he would be on there as far as one of the four Mount Rushmores. He had a losing record. Now, the team was developing, but Frank Layden's impact on the Jazz and on the state, that goes way beyond coaching. If you eliminate or just widen the margin, eliminate the boundaries of just coaching and talk about impact, then obviously Frank Layden has a strong, strong impact that he did for many years. He was the face of the franchise, and he gave it a form of national credibility because whether you knew very little or a lot about the Jazz, you know, you knew about that funny guy, Frank Layton, who was doing his thing. And so he was critical, a critical component to the Jazz's success, obviously, as he moved on into the to role of president. After, And he turned the reins over to Jerry Sloan. I'm sure when he did that, he probably wasn't thinking that, oh, wow, this guy's going to be the next coach for almost the next uh, quarter of a century. But nevertheless, that's what had that's what's on there. Good hire think, for Frank right there. Yeah. Good hire. Oh, yeah. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> it worked out well. <laughs> it's like uh, Steve Cleveland, and we'll have him here at the top of the hour, uh, his impact on BYU basketball. He comes in from the junior college. He hires Dave Rose. Dave Rose takes over. Dave Rose hires Mark Pope. Mark Pope takes over. So would there have been that succession if Steve Cleveland hadn't hired Dave Rose? Well, I can't answer that yes or no, but I do know that it led to that by him hiring Dave Rose as his top assistant, two junior college guys taking over a program, and they go on for the next 20-some years together, right? And then Rose brings in Pope, so there's that line of succession, there that's the thing about Majerus is that he was such a phenomenal coach but yet he has no coaching tree yeah he, he really doesn't nothing no he had donnie daniels got an opportunity to coach at his alma mater at fullerton for a couple years and then obviously judd at the women's program yep. but really when you have been that successful you should have other people steve cleveland was successful so he has dave rose dave rose was successful uh, and then he spawns two head coaches. Dave Rice went to UNLV for a while, and then Mark Pope is uh, now at BYU. And Heath Schroyer, right? Heath Schroyer, that was brought on by Steve. Uh, Steve brought Heath Schroyer into the program, and then Dave Rose had him on the staff too. And then, yeah, so, yeah, you got to put uh, Heath Schroyer on that list as far as being a head coach. He's, uh, what is he, at Middle Tennessee now, and I think he's had, uh, I know he's at Wyoming, I want to say he was at uh, was he at Portland, Portland State. Uh, so he's been a head coach in a number of different places. So, yeah. But Rick Majerus, for as successful as he was, 
Nothing. No. Uh, let's see. David on on Facebook says Jim Boylan and Roger Reed. Go Yards! <laughs> Urban Meyer's getting a little run on uh, on the what social media. What do you do media. with Urban Meyer, Jake? Yeah, I don't know if he was here long enough. Two years. I mean, it was lightning in a bottle for sure. But longevity is part of this discussion, right? I think it has to be to I a degree. And only there for two years when you basically took Ron McBride's players. Right. And, I mean, Urban Meyer is just unbelievable. I mean, I don't know that I've ever been around a coach like Urban Meyer. And that that two-year period was just it was unlike any other thing that I've been around. I mean, he's and, – and, and to me, it was the combo. He and his wife, they were a tag team too. So we had on Steve Tate last week, and obviously he knows Urban Meyer uh, and uh, that situation there. He feels like Urban will get back into coaching, but Urban's son is now a walk-on receiver at Cincinnati where Urban played, and he feels like Urban isn't going to get into coaching, go back into coaching, until his son is done. So he thinks that in three or four years, so Urban's going to have a four- or five-year break and then go back into coaching It'll be interesting to see how that plays out if Steve is right, but that's Steve Tate's assessment of what he thinks is going to happen with Urban Meyer. I I don't have any problem putting Urban Meyer on the list uh, because he came in here like a tornado and just blew through our community, and he didn't create devastation. (laughs) He created a whole lot of success. Uh, But, uh, yeah, just two years. How How about Ike Armstrong, who is the career leader in Football wins at Utah. When was he there? From like 1925 to 1940 something. See, I have a tough time putting those uh, Why? times in perspective because I I didn't, you know, like I can appreciate the generation that uh, that came before my mine because of my dad, right? You know, raised me with stories about Jerry Sloan as a player and, and those sorts of things. And I feel like I can have a grasp going back a certain way or a, a certain distance, but I, I don't know back that far. I have a tough time putting that into perspective. Really? Because I would have thought you would have been able to get that from Gordon Monson. I, well, he, he tries because he was around. <laughs> he was covering most of it. Uh, but I, I have a tough time with that. So I looked it up. Ike Armstrong, he has 141 wins, I think. Kyle has 131, so Kyle's going to get the record. I don't think Kyle has spoken of not wanting to be a coach when he's 70 years old, but he turned 61 in November, and I think he's uh, like 10 or 11 wins behind. So most likely, uh, depending on how this season shakes out with the number of games and all this stuff and keep our fingers crossed, most likely Kyle will pass Armstrong next, so this 2022 season, uh, that he'll get, I think he needs 10 or 11 wins to pass Armstrong. Hmm. And we we know, there's two things we know. We, we can count on him beating BYU the next two seasons, and then, of course, Sad news, Jake, is we can count on him losing to the Devils in the next two seasons, and that's where you and I have all our acrimony 
because you being the hardcore Ute and me being the hardcore Sun Devil, that's where we get sideways to quote Jerry Sloan. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's acrimony there, but uh, you, you're, you're, you're right that uh, Herm Edwards is a master, and I don't know what the rest of the league is going to do over the next several years as he puts together an NFL program at the college level. I, I think uh, everybody's in trouble. If there's not acrimony, is there macaroni? There could be. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> Did you know that Ike Armstrong, he won like 13 conference titles, what they call it, the Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference? That's a lot. And s- six of those seasons, he had undefeated teams. Now, they included ties back then. Because uh, I don't remember when the tiebreaker or the overtime came in, but that's relatively recent. Uh, and he, I think he had like 15 ties. And his, how about this? Do you think this is legitimate? His 1930 team went undefeated and untied. And the entire season, they gave up a total of 20 points for an average of two points a game. Is that so outlandish that it it actually ruins it for you, or do you think that's legitimate? No, it's just a different era. I'm sure it's legitimate. Absolutely, you you can only play the competition that, uh, or you know, function within. It's absolutely legitimate. I just putting eras. And that's why comparing eras is impossible. Truly, it, it's impossible. But it makes it difficult because I don't really have a frame of reference. I mean, that's an, uh, an amazing stat that you just listed right there. But how many points a game were scored? You know, if you, you, the, you're a baseball historian, one thing that Babe Ruth did that was so amazing is the home run wasn't even a thing before Day, Babe Ruth. Like, uh, I, I remember uh, I read a book about Ty Cobb once, and he, he won – or he – led the league in homers one year with like five. I mean, it just it, w- it wasn't even a thing. And then Babe Ruth comes along and totally changes the game forever. So should we discount what they did in the dead ball era, quote unquote? It's impossible to put that into perspective, right? Okay, but what are you saying, though? I get that, but beyond that, does that mean that today's accomplishments are more legitimate than back then? No. It's just different. Okay, but I, I'm sure it's different, but what does it mean beyond different? It can't just be different. you got to give me more than just different. Okay, so would we have the numbers, uh, you know, how would these power hitters be today if they were hitting that, uh, you know, solid rock of a baseball that they were throwing back then, you know? Like even the equipment, how do you, how do you compare that in a, in a game like baseball or golf where the equipment has had such a, a dramatic effect? Or even something as simple as sneakers in the NBA that technology has, has come a long way. I mean, how would how do you compare that stuff? I mean, Okay, I, I understand that, but does that make it better then, or does it make it better now? That's what I'm trying to get I don't, from I don't, you. I don't know. What do you think? I don't think either one is better. I guess that's what I'm saying. Well, it's got to, you got to have better. No, you don't. Jake, Jake, radio, divide audience. I got you. Now. I got you. But you you want to go back in my day was better. Everybody wants to say that. So no, that, well, how about that? There's my answer. Back in my day. My day was better. <laughs> my day was better than yours. Sometimes it was. I don't think it's a blanket statement. 
Well, I know you and Gordon want to talk about the 80s Lakers all day long and uh, throw DJ into there, too. But, you know, just because it was your day does not mean it's Who better. Who doesn't, man? It was the best basketball team of all time. See? Exactly. Because <laughs> it was. <laughs> okay. How about this? I was talking about one of the things that you, uh, what did you watch? Flick around, right? And I, on my DirecTV, I buy the Fox Sports packages so I can watch uh, Fox Sports Arizona to watch the Diamondbacks. Well, within that, I get all these other Fox channels that, that a lot of times that as long as it's not uh, live sports, that they're, they're not scrambled, right, and not blacked out. So I'm watching a thing the other day on the Dodgers. And it is uh, – you haven't followed baseball since 1944. Correct. But they, they have a pitcher named Walker Bueller, who's their ace now. He's taken over for Kershaw. And uh, the year before last, he led the team, led the team with two complete games, most complete games on the staff, right? You call up Don Drysdale. Don Drysdale, in 1963, he made 42 starts. Guess how many games he completed? 42. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're saying that he started, he completed every game every that he game. started? <laughs> no. I'm, no. I'm finishing this one, Coach. <laughs> that would be unbelievable if, if he did. What, 35? No. 17, nine, uh, yeah, so, and in 63, he had 17. Hmm. If you go back even further, I bet you uh, those numbers climb even more, right? Uh, depending on who you are. So does that make pitching better then or better now? I'm, I'm just saying it's better in my day. Whatever your day is. Well, what is that's your freaking it, day? That was when it was the best. See, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't buy that. But, yeah, you do that. with the 80s Lakers. But I don't buy it universally at all times. No, but sometimes I do. I think the Lakers had three Hall of Famers in their starting five. How was that not awesome? Yeah, they were okay. <laughs> oh, jeez. You're just – now you are being a butthead for the sole purpose of being a butthead. How is that possible? Because <laughs> I, don't, I don't agree that the conversation stops and ends with the, uh, with the 80s Lakers. Uh <laughs> I don't see. I guess that's. I don't. I don't know what was. I don't know what was better. Uh, I really don't. Uh, I'm supposed to divide the audience here, but I mean, if you're talking about like, if you put the if you put the the Warriors uh, of or I guess uh, the Lakers of this year, and they played Magic's Lakers, the Lakers of this year would win. That's the funniest thing you've ever said. <laughs> Bigger, stronger, faster. Today's athlete is just far more capable of things than the athlete the athletes in the 80s. That's a fact. Bigger, stronger, faster. Can we get management? Come up to the fifth floor right now, go across the hall, and administer that drug test. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Davis, what were, how, would the, how would the 80s Lakers have, have managed somebody like Anthony Davis? And I'd love to see Buck Johnson oh, Anthony, yeah, try to stay in yeah. front of LeBron. I'd love to, I'd love to see Davis, that happen. Davis, I mean, the slew of titles that Anthony Davis has won, I mean, he needs an extra wing on his house to put all those MVP finals trophies I, in. 
I bet you, I bet you, the Jazz of of today would beat the '80s Lakers. The athlete, uh, the athlete of today's day and age, is just better, bigger, stronger, faster. Magic was six two. Kareem was seven two. How the hell can you get taller than that? And Magic was barely in shape. And slow. He was not barely in shape. You're thinking of Magic after he came back in the nineties. And Magic couldn't throw it in the ocean. Couldn't shoot. Oh, you are so. Oh my gosh. Gordon is rolling over in his grave right now. All right. What do you think? Can the Lakers? And the Jazz of today beat the 1980 Lakers, the 1980s Lakers, I should say. We'll get to that a little bit uh, later on in the morning. Coming up next, we got BYU basketball coach or former BYU basketball coach Steve Cleveland talking about Jerry Sloan. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280, The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. It's Monday. It's the 9 o'clock hour. That means one thing. It's time to get out to the Sprint special guest line. They make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Jake Scott in for David James this morning. And joining us now, he is former BYU basketball coach Steve Cleveland. Coach, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. Thanks. Coach, uh, uh, what, well, actually, let's start here. What, what do you think about the uh, Orlando bubble idea that seems to be coming to fruition for the NBA? I love the idea. <laughs> I love the idea of any thought that, that, that the NBA actually is going to be on TV again and we can actually watch it. Um, I guess, it, you know, it, it'll be an interesting thing. I, I know one thing, there's plenty of housing and um, – it's it's warm there in the summer, but they're going to be inside playing, so that shouldn't be an issue. But uh, I, I do like the idea. I think people are just starving for it. I think that financially that the league itself is they're trying to protect the players and put themselves in a safe environment and at the same time also allowing them to, you know, uh, financially to, to be able to kind of meet, meet the uh, projections there of, of what their salaries are. And There's just a lot of win-wins for it. I can't think of anything that that's real negative. There's not going to be any fan base there. It sounds like the testing piece is in place. They're going to be tested and then retested again. So I think they're covering every base that they have to cover. And I think our country is excited to, to see some NBA basketball. I know I include myself in that group. Yeah, amen. I agree with you 100%. I was thinking about what happened over, well, starting Friday, and then into the weekend, get your comments on both. We lost two Hall of Fame coaches, uh, Jerry Sloan and Eddie Sutton. Now, during your entire time at BYU, just up the road was Jerry Sloan, and I know you competed against Eddie Sutton when you were at BYU at least a couple of times, I can recall. Uh, first, just give us your thoughts on Jerry Sloan and maybe any interaction that you had. You know, uh, my interaction with Coach Sloan was uh, – 
you know, we, we didn't, I mean, I think we, we consider ourselves friends because we had had some contacts and had short conversations, but I didn't really have any real life experiences. All my experiences with Jerry were watching either in the arena and watching his teams play and watching him. And I think as coaches, sometimes we kind of, uh, you know, we watch coaches and at every level. You know, I watch high school coaches. I watch senior college coaches, Division one coaches, just to see how they react and uh, kind of what their behavior and their demeanor is and it's just kind of how they how they work and operate and you know i when i thought of when when that happened i think we all kind of felt a loss of, of someone that was one of the most passionate people that i had been around and again i'm talking about maybe three or four times where i was in his presence chatting with him and it, it wasn't any really in-depth conversations but just just being around him i i think Somebody asked me this the other day, and I said, <clears throat> if there was one, if I had one word that I had to use to define coach, it would just be that he has a huge heart. And that can, that can you know, number one for his players, his relationships, you know, he was a tough competitor as a player. He was tough on guys, but his passion and his heart were the things that impressed me the most. I mean, he was so authentic, so real. <clears throat> he would share what he feels where a lot of guys won't do that. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure people look at him today and he was a little bit old school. We need way more old school. Uh, I think that uh, it was such a refreshing thing. And he always made me feel important. I mean, in, 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 in settings, he, you know, it was always about, you know, coach, how are you doing? What's going on? It was always about someone else and not about him. It was never been about him. And, uh, and you know, some things I've learned about coach, too, just getting and watching, reading social media and reading different articles. And I didn't realize he was the first banner that went up with the Chicago Bulls. And yes. uh, what, a, what a great career he had there. I wasn't aware of that. And uh, just to think about the influence he's had in Chicago and in Utah. And considering the number of players in the NBA, young and old, that have reached out or were touched by him tells you a little bit about the influence impact he had in, in the basketball world, but just in the world in general about what a, a great human being he was. Coach Steve Cleveland with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, you mentioned observing what uh, Jerry Sloan coach and what type of coach he was. Why do you think his philosophies and system fit so well with his players, specifically John and Carl? <clears throat> well, I think one of the things you do as a coach, and I mean, and in the NBA, that your team can change, you know, pretty dramatically. But you know, both of them were system-oriented guys. I mean, they they were capable. If they had been in another system, I think they still would have flourished. But in that system, they they really did flourish, where everybody kind of knew their role, everybody accepted their role, and and whether it were the intangibles that were established in in you know having. An, an incredible culture and who they were and, who, you know, everybody knew who the Utah Jazz were. You know, I mean, sometimes you see organizations and, you, say, you know, they never really seemed to kind of, you never knew exactly what team was going to show up. Well, with the Utah Jazz, they showed up night in and night out doing the same things, running the same action, and they got really good at it. And, and uh, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't a, a system where, you know, it's an inordinate number of threes, or it was a system where we spread the floor, or today where, you know, there's a lot of spacing. And, you know, they had the way they played, and they were in a position to win NBA championships. And, you know, certainly 
I mean, one thing you do, you gain an appreciation. Sometimes you forget about how good Carl and John were and the impact that they had in this game. I mean, just statistically, you go through it and go, wow, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't remember that, you know. And then you go back and watch the clips and watch them play. And the execution, uh, you know, they just kept doing what they do, and they did it perfectly. And teams would break down, and they'd get in mismatch situations. And Carl is so versatile offensively. And, uh, you know, be honest with you, John, uh, one of the greatest competitors that ever played in that league, you look at for pound for pound what, what he did for a long time. And I think, I'm not sure, but I think it was five or six years in a row they won 60 games, uh, which a lot of those things just went unnoticed. And, and, and maybe us watching The Last Dance uh, has given us an opportunity to appreciate how good Utah really was and uh, how well coached they were and uh, they had a system and they executed it and it was it, it may have today may be looked at as kind of old school basketball but uh, it worked and uh, and you had two Hall of Fame guys right there at the center of it uh, executing and and really what a treat for the state of Utah and the people that have lived here all these years um, I didn't have that experience to watch him that entire time, but I got here in 97. I got to Pro Bowl in 97, so I got the best of it the first two years, so it was really good. I had an opportunity, Cleve, to be around you on a pretty much an intimate level during the time that I was working for the newspaper and covering your program as you were trying to build that thing, and it was such a grind to try to build it. The work was just enormous, you know, and eventually you got it done. But one of the things I can remember talking to you during a practice, uh, maybe it was after or before, and and it was uh, you had built the program a little bit, and you were expected to get to the NCAs, and it was right around January, I think, and you still had work to do. And it was really taking a toll on you. And I can remember you told me you went to California and did a quick speaking engagement. And you said, man, just being away for a day, I was able to breathe. And the way you said it, you said it so emphatically, it's like I could almost put myself in your shoe. And the point I'm making is that it was such a grind to try to win games. There was all the stuff weighing on you, and Jerry Sloan did that for 23 years. Could you speak to the consistency that he was able to show over such a long period of time and how difficult that must have been based on your own experience? Yeah, I think, you know, for every coach, uh, we all handle things differently. And uh, everybody has different ways and different methods they do to deal with the stress and the grind. And, and, uh, and it, it does take some internal toughness. And mentally, you have to be in a place where, you know, you have to be. And sometimes, even in our lives today, you know, we get to places where we're not comfortable. And we're, we're just, you know, you know how do, what do we do today? Well, you know, I can remember back then, for me, and then thinking about at the highest level, where transparency isn't as it was today, but still in the moment at that time where every eye is upon you, night in and night out, playing 82 games in preseason and postseason, uh, you, you, one thing, you, you have to take care of yourself. And, uh, you know, there, there have been a number of coaches who have had to leave this business because physically, emotionally, mentally, they didn't do the things that helped them to take care of themselves to get through this grind. So 
at a very small level, you know, I mean, and it didn't matter, to be honest with you. When I was a high school coach, I felt that same grind, the same importance, because that was the only world I knew when I was a junior college coach. It was the only world I knew. I dealt with that. I, you know, I did things that to kind of get, keep myself fresh. And, you know, and one of the things that I know coming to the Division One level where I hadn't had to really deal a lot with the media, you know, and how to handle that and how to, how to, you know, social media was just kind of a new thing. But there still was Internet, and there was those kinds of things. And just the really good counsel that I got to, to just avoid all of that. You know, you just, there's no reason for that, you to put that in your mind or your head. You've got to control the things you can control, and the rest of it you can't worry about. And I can imagine that the, that the NBA level today, especially in the world of social media, there's just so much stuff out there. We're human beings. I mean, coaches are human. They have families. They have emotions. And to keep those kinds of things in check, it, it can take a toll on you physically. And it can, it, can, it can impact your health. All of those things can just grind on you. And so when I, when I think about him doing it for that many years and others like him doing it for that many years, the, it tells me this. Even though I didn't know him intimately, it, they, they have to find a balance. And, and sometimes coaches uh, couldn't find a balance. And, and sometimes it impacted their health. But it, it just seemed to me that there, at, at times you could see the anger and you could feel it being around Jerry and how competitive he was. And, and I think that uh, I, I think a, a big part of it is sometimes you need to let that steam off. Sometimes you just need to express yourself in ways that may not seem appropriate but are just healthy for you. And, uh, but I think his relationship, just listening to all of the players and the competitors that played against him, I mean, hundreds of people have chimed in on the, just the respect that they had for him. And I think especially at the, at the highest level, you just nod your head and go, yeah, I get it. I, I remember when, uh, as coach, I remember, I remember when I went and served a mission for the church and a guy came up to me and he said, when you go home, you'll see people who did and have shared a similar experience. You'll just look at them, nod your head and go, yep. I get it. You don't have to say anything. And the same thing is true for coaching. I mean, that was really true. It's like you don't know when you do something three years, 24-7. When you know someone else has gone through it, you just kind of smile, nod your head, I get it. And that's the same thing with coaches. It's kind of like there's such a respect. We all kind of gone through the same things, maybe not with the same intensity at every every program, but we you don't really need to talk about it as a coach. You just go, I get it. I know what you're talking about from, you know, off the court things with players to on the court to families to AAU coaches to the media, all the things that, you know, are part of that experience. You learn how to maintain and control and keep things in place and in check so that you can keep your sanity and and be the most positive influence you can and maintaining a, a culture that, like Coach did in the Jazz, I mean, they, if you were going to look at that team, you'd say they're disciplined. That, that, you know, that's a word sometimes we, we, we throw around loosely. But they were disciplined. They ran their stuff. They executed their stuff. They did what they did. Where other people weren't playing like that. It didn't matter. This is who we are. And when I see teams do that, uh, I can usually watch a team play for about five minutes in a game and know if there's a system and that what uh, you can see that, okay, these guys get it. They're executing it. They know who they are. They know their roles. 
all of those things are in place. You can watch a team play pretty quickly and understand kind of where that team's at, uh, you know, what, what their mantra is and the chemistry of that team and the execution. All of those things are reflection on coaches. Also, too, uh, Cleve, you had an opportunity to compete against Eddie Sutton, and one of the greatest games that BYU's ever played was at the where the Jazz play. It was the Delta Center then, I think, and he brought in Oklahoma State, and I mean, it's eighteen thousand people. The place was rocking. He passes. He's also going all into the Hall of Fame. How about some interaction with him? You know what? I I did have a few opportunities to to talk to Coach, and 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 that on that particular experience as well. And again. Uh, much like you know the Jerry situation, these are guys that have seen it all and done it all, and uh, you know it, it was fun to, to just just to interact a little bit, and then and then to see these coaches in the summer, and that was a big win for us, and that's kind of when, I think it's when we started this, uh, just having a you know an independent game at at, at the arena, and uh, it, it, it was it was a game that came right down to the wire and, and got us into the NCAA tournament. They ended up being a Final Four team. And uh, so I, I do remember, and I do remember how gracious Coach was with me and uh, how kind he was. Um, we had actually had a former player, Daniel Bobick, who was playing for him, and, and I love Daniel. And, uh, and he, he ended up transferring, and he ended up, ended up there playing with him. And so, uh, you know, coach, coach was so good. You know, it was, you know it's like the, the, you know, the elephant in the room. You know, it was one of those things, you know, it said, listen, you know, he talked. We talked a little bit about Daniel, and it's hard when kids transfer and whatever the circumstances were. He just made you feel completely at ease, and uh, and and I, you know, we I've talked about that. I, I you know, I've, I've had some experiences with some of his coaches over the years when I was a younger coach, and in almost every situation and circumstance, they they would genuinely ask you, "How are you doing? What's what's the hardest thing going for you? Well, how, what can I help you with?" You know, when they didn't have to do that, not everybody did that, but the Hall of Fame guys always did that, you know. And uh, I remember being on planes and, and sitting near coaches, and, you know, they were just so genuine and authentic. And Eddie was the same thing. And Eddie, you know, his life wasn't perfect. He, it wasn't easy for him. But he, again, just resilient, just resilient. And when you start li- listening to the players, and that, that's, that's the hotel test here, you know, I mean, I, I'm I on social media and I follow different people and it, it just makes your heart feel good when you listen to the players talk about how much love and respect they had for coach and doesn't, you know coaches aren't perfect we make mistakes we do things that we probably wish we hadn't sometimes but at the end of the day you got to look at the whole body of work nobody's perfect when you look at the whole body of work. Eddie Sutton did a lot of good, influenced a lot of people. Coach influenced a lot of people, and you know, as a player in Chicago and as a coach for many years. So uh, we have to be careful about putting people on pedestals and thinking that they're perfect and this and that. I think realistically, we need to look at people and who they are and their whole body of work, not on maybe one or two mistakes they made. And these are two men that did way, 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 way more good than maybe a couple of little mistakes here and there that they made. And they both influenced me, impacted my life, as, as many have. And, uh, and that's one of the special things about coaching is those relationships with coaches in the summer to sit and talk to those Hall of Fame guys and get their perspective on things. 
Coach, thank you very much as always. Always a highlight of the week. Hey, thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right, that was Steve Cleveland making his weekly appearance. Yesterday was Tuesday, obviously. Today is Wednesday. Coming up next is What is Trending? And we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about. College sports going to be opening up, at least practice. MLB looks like they may be in trouble. We'll get to all of it. Stay with us. 7 o'clock hour on the way on 97.5, 1280 The Zone.